from Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. I was really surprised at how certain people have been super helpful and some people haven't. Today on episode 35 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Brian Ahern. After 28 years, Brian left the corporate world of insurance to launch his own coaching and consulting business. Though he's an expert on influence and he knew he would be leaving his job, some parts of Brian's transition were easier than others. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you would like to share your story on going solo, or if you know someone who would, please get in touch with me via our website at smashingtheplateau.com. Now, let's welcome Brian Ahern. Brian is the Chief Influence Officer at Influence People. He specializes in applying the science of influence in everyday situations. He's one of only 20 individuals in the world who currently holds the Cialdini Method Certified Trainer designation. This specialization was earned directly from Robert Cialdini, Ph.D., the most cited living social psychologist on the science, science of ethical influence. Brian's book, Influence People, Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade That Are Lasting and Ethical, is an Amazon bestseller, and his LinkedIn courses have been viewed by more than 90,000 people. Brian, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here, David. So that's a great great bio and great introduction, and it's clear that you have this really unique specialization. Before we actually get into that, what I would love to start off talking about is um, the actual way in which you have worked, because you made a transition at a point in your career from employment to entrepreneurship that has led to where you are now. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that transition first. Okay. Well, um, I worked for a large insurance company here in Columbus, Ohio for 28 years and loved what I was doing. Uh, The people I worked with, I felt like I hit the trifecta. My boss was a, a great friend and everything was going smoothly. Now, I will say that I always knew that what I'm doing today, I wanted to do at whatever point it was that I left the company. But things changed and I ended up leaving significantly earlier than what I had planned. But I was very grateful that I had started building the base of the business while I was working for the company. And I will say this, David, I was very fortunate that the individual that I worked for, as I kind of built something on the side, always recognized that any time I was doing something outside the four walls of the company, whether it was speaking or training or writing, I was a better speaker, trainer, and writer for the company. And so he encouraged me to do that. And that's a, that's a really, really nice thing. Yeah. And, and I suspect, at least based on my experience, somewhat unusual. I mean, one of the things that I've always done when I've managed people is to have conversations with them on a regular basis about what it is they were aspiring to do besides the specific work that we had to do like day to day and week to week. And to see if there were ways that people who, who I'm managing can grow, can develop more in ways that may or may not be clear that they directly relate to the job at hand. Yeah, mine clearly did, the things that I was doing outside. But I totally agree with you that there's a lot of people, I would say the majority of managers or leaders, 
would not be encouraging that. They would be thinking, well, why don't you take all that extra time and pour it back into the company here? And it wasn't that I wasn't working a lot of hours and traveling. I was doing that. But I worked for a very unique individual. And as I said, he recognized that all of those things were making me more valuable within the four walls. And it really added to my job satisfaction to know that I had that support. So it ended up being a win for everybody. That's incredible. And at what point, what was the trigger that actually caused you to make the shift and stop being an employee? Well, he announced that he was going to retire, and that was a lot of years before I really expected it. And then as things began to transition away from him, I started to recognize what a great leader or one attribute of a great leader, and that is they protect you from a lot of garbage (laughs) so that you can keep your head down and do your job. And when that covering got removed, all of a sudden it was becoming a lot harder to get the job done, and I just didn't like what I was seeing, and I just... in in good conscience, could no longer go in and give my best to the company because I wasn't really believing anymore in the mission of the company. And that's where I said, you know what, it's not good for me. to. I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to be unhappy. It's time to go. And again, I was very thankful that I had built this foundation that I could step into because there was so much more to do beyond the foundation. Yeah, Brian, this is a classic example of why all of these studies indicate that one of the most important ingredients for job satisfaction and and employee engagement is the employee's relationship with her or his direct supervisor. Absolutely. And and I was really fortunate in that we not, he was not only my boss, but he became over the years a good friend and he knew how to wear that manager hat and he knew how to take it off and say, I'm talking to you now as a friend. And, and I really respected that and made sure that I never crossed the lines And to this day, uh, we're still close friends, and I still call him up for advice about my business because I respect so much about how he led teams and his business savvy. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. So you you made a conscious decision. Um, It sounds like although your transition came about perhaps with timing that you didn't anticipate for years, it still sounds like it wasn't as abrupt as somebody who thinks he or she is going into work as per usual as they've done for years, and suddenly they're told that they need to exit the building and never come back. Yeah, it, mine, mine was not like that at all. When I started to get the inkling that change was going to have to happen, that I would say that was at the very beginning of August of 2018, and by the middle of November, that's when I decided uh, that was my last day. And, and I knew as I was just seeing certain things that were happening that I needed to start having a conversation with uh, the CEO to say, I, I can't come here anymore. So it wasn't in the big scheme of the length of time that I was there, that came about very quickly. There were a number of people who were like, holy cow, I, I can't believe you're actually leaving. That was quick. But it wasn't at all like what you described where somebody just is taken aback in the day, like we don't need you anymore. Right, right. Which, which happens, um, you know, the latter happens very, very frequently in today's world. So, yes. right. So you had a few months when you were actively working on the transition. What did you end up doing at the very beginning once you left your job? Well, I left in the middle of November and I always say that I really didn't kind of get going until January of 2019, because when you leave a job, especially one that you've been at as long as I have, there was a lot more emotions than I realized. I didn't start realizing that for quite a while. And so I would assume for people who 
are asked to leave, that that's even more intense. You throw in the mix the holidays. My wife was recovering from a broken ankle. Nothing was normal. But once January rolled around, the holidays were behind. That's where I you know, established the routine, what I was going to be doing every single day, how I was going to go about doing it. And that's where I just got my head down and, and started. Mm-hmm. And so what was it that you were doing once you got started? And is it the same as what you're doing now? It's pretty similar. I've always been involved with athletics, so I'm a really disciplined person. So I still get up at the same time that I got up when I was working at the company. I'm a really early riser. I'm usually up by 4 a.m. I get my workout in and then I get my food. And usually by 7 a.m. I'm out the door and I spend most of the morning, usually till about 11 or 12, I'm at a Starbucks just so I can uh, be away from the distractions of the home, keep my head down and and produce the content that I need to and you know do all the things that I have to do. And then when I come back in the afternoon, then I can make phone calls and I can do the things that don't take quite as much focused concentration because uh, no matter how disciplined you are, I, I feel like when I'm in my own house, there are still things that will pull at my attention that if I'm away, that doesn't happen. Mm. So what what is the core of your business now? So I teach people about the psychology of persuasion. How do you communicate with individuals or groups and bring in research from social psychology and behavioral economics so that you have a better chance of hearing yes? And there's a tremendous amount of information that people can bring into their communication to make that a reality. But most people don't know that because they've never studied it and they fall into patterns you know, for example, if their parents told them what to do, then they're always telling their kids what to do rather than understanding how important it is to ask and why. So I teach people and organizations that, and I primarily work with salespeople, uh, business coaches, and business leaders, because all of those people clearly see that their success in large part is relative to their ability to get people to say yes to them. Mm. And are there some Uh, some basic concepts that people are unaware of that, that we could talk about? Sure. I would say one of the things that people are most unaware of, I, I think everybody gets that if someone likes them, it will be easier for that person to say yes. I mean, if you like me, David, it's easier for you to say yes to me. The mistake that people make is they try so hard to get other people to like them that they come across like a used car salesman. But the, re- the real thing that we should be focusing on is not so much how can I get you to like me, but how can I come to like you? And all the same things that will make you like me will make me like you. When we find, for example, we have something in common, if I can pay you a genuine compliment, those will make you like me more, but they also make me like you. And the big reason that's so important is when you sense, when you deep down sense, hey, that guy Brian really likes me you become far more open to whatever I might ask of you. And because I do like you, I want the best for you. So I would never manipulate you or take advantage of you. And so this becomes, I like to say, a virtuous cycle. It's a win-win. I like you. I want the best for you. You know I like you, and you know that I want the best for you. And we end up having a much, much better working relationship. And is that is there any connection between that and what you described earlier about your relationship with your your manager? Uh, Yeah. I, I think a lot. I, John really invested in all of us. We knew that he cared about us, and we could tell by the way that he treated us, and you wanted to then reciprocate that. I mean, it wasn't uncommon for him to stop by and ask how things were going, and maybe it's one o'clock on a Friday, and he's like, hey, you've been out of town a lot lately. Just go home. 
don't worry about it. Don't mark it down. Just take off. Just let me know where you are in case I need to reach you. And those kind of things, and that's what we call reciprocity. He did something nice for me, and I felt this obligation to want to do something for him. And so it wasn't uncommon for me to, when I got up at four in the morning, just pop over and take a quick look at my email. Because if there was something I could knock out right away for him, I wanted to do that. And, and so we had this really positive mojo going because of how he treated us and then how we responded to that. Mm. What else is important when it comes to understanding how to influence others? Well, I, I think a big one is that difference between asking and telling. When you tell somebody what to do, they may do it, they may not do it, but they don't feel the same way about it as if you ask. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I told you to do something, David, you, maybe you'd do it, maybe you wouldn't, it would all depend. But if I asked you and you told me, yeah, Brian, I'll get that done, the likelihood of you doing it goes up dramatically because internally, if nothing else, you don't want to feel bad about yourself about having said one thing and doing another. And then you also don't want to look bad in my eyes. The way I bring that about is I don't tell you, I ask you. And that's a mistake that most people make is they they spend way too much time telling people what to do. Well, I'm the boss and therefore I have the right, or I'm the parent and I have the right to tell you what to do. And maybe you have that right, but the psychology is very clear that you will get more compliance and you will have people more bought in if you ask instead of tell. Yeah. In today's world, in the workplace, this is probably more needed than ever. I think that's true because the, the biggest part of the workforce now is millennials and, and they were raised differently than boomers. And they were used to being asked and they're used to getting reasons. And that's another psychological tip, too, that when you ask somebody to do something and you use a word because and you give them a reason, they're far more likely to follow through. There are research studies that clearly show that because it's a it's a psychological trigger. Many of us, as we were raised and our parents told us what to do, if we ever said why, they'd say, because I said so. And so we became conditioned by that word. So when you're, especially when you're dealing with a millennial, if you ask instead of tell, if you use the word because and you give reasons, you're going to have a much more engaged employee. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What are some of the other key points? Well, authority is something that gets people to take more action, right? If you're not feeling well, you feel better talking to a doctor about your state than you do a relative. If you are getting ready to prepare your taxes, you probably feel a whole lot better if a CPA gives you advice versus your neighbor. And you may love your relatives and love your neighbor and trust them, but you also realize they don't have expertise in these areas. I'd rather talk to a doctor, talk to a CPA. So we all feel better when we talk to an expert. So that means the challenge for somebody is, how do I get my expertise in front of other people so that they know that I have this expertise, but also I don't want to do it in a way that I sound like I'm bragging. And there are very simple things that that they can do. You know, maybe I'm talking to you about insurance, the field that I spent more than three decades in. And if I were to say something like, you know, David, I've been doing this now for more than 30 years. And what I found is people in your situation, and then I begin to give you some information in that conversational way that I dropped in there, that I've been doing this for decades, That gives you a lot more confidence that what I'm telling you will probably help you as opposed to if you didn't know anything at all about my background. It is so true. It's so true. Now, these are great, great points about how how to establish rapport so that we are more likely to 
establish a relationship where we like our counterpart, mm-hmm. where we're asking rather than telling, uh, understanding why, understanding how authority plays into this. Um, are there some other key points that are critical? Another principle, and all your listeners will certainly know this one, scarcity. Mm-hmm. We will take far more action to avoid losing than we will to gain. And it could be the very same thing. So one study that I quite often share with audiences, University of um, California did some energy audits and they went back to homeowners and they told them ideas that could make their homes more energy efficient. With one group, they said, if you implement the ideas that you've heard today, if you're like the average homeowner, you'll save about $180 next year on your electric bill. With, with another group, they gave the same presentation, but they ended it by saying, now, if you don't do the things that we've talked about today, if you're like the typical homeowner, you're going to lose $180 next year because you're going to overpay on your electric bill. And under that scenario, 150% more people who heard they would lose took action and implemented the ideas. Now, if you analyze it, it's the same $180. I can talk about it as gain or savings. I can talk about it as loss or overpaying, but how I talk about it makes a world of difference in terms of how many people are going to take action. And so I'm always encouraging people, this isn't fear-mongering, it's not being a Debbie Downer or being negative or anything, but honestly telling somebody what they stand to lose by not taking action is far more effective than trying to paint this rosy picture and all the wonderful things they'll gain. Brian, for all of these characteristics that we've just discussed about influence, how much of your work when you were in the insurance company was around issues regarding influence? Virtually everything. Because when you think about it, David, when it comes down to, it could be as simple as you're a manager of a department, you need to get those people to say yes to certain initiatives. You need to get certain employees to change behaviors. When I was training, I'm thinking, how do I influence these people so that they'll take what I'm teaching them and put it into action? So I really believe that influence underlies almost all of the communication that we have. So a mistake that some people will make is they'll go to a training session or read a book and they'll think, oh yeah, that's interesting stuff. And they'll look for a spot here and there to apply it. But I'm always telling people, when you go home and you interact with your spouse, you're having a lot of conversations where you want him or her to do something on your behalf or your kids. And so this is a 24-7, 365 skill when you really grasp it deeply. And how, how important do you see the connection between understanding how influence works and being able to make a successful transition career transition like you did? It's huge. I mean, I am now having to go out and get clients on my own. When I worked for the insurance company, sometimes they just kind of came my way. Uh, Robert Cialdini's organization might have called me up and said, hey, this group's looking for a speaker. Are you available on these days? So I wasn't having to go out and drum up my own clientele. Now I have to. And so I have to put into practice in a different way all of the things that I've been teaching people for the last 15 years or so. And and even with my understanding of this, it's challenging. And I'm sure your listeners who have stepped out on their own understand it's really hard to get people to want to come on board, especially when you're a newer organization, to take a chance with you. So yeah, it's, it is foundational to my ability to build relationships, maintain those relationships, and at the right time, 
persuade people that, hey, Brian's the right guy to help us with this issue. Mm. And Brian, looking back over what you've done, I guess it's now like a year and a half since you first planned yeah. planned to to make an exit from the insurance company. Mm-hmm. Looking back over that time, are there any things that stand out in your mind as being unexpectedly challenging? Yes. I was really surprised at how certain people have been super helpful and some people haven't. I kind of thought in, in my time working with the company, there were a lot of people who were in um, higher up positions, senior leaders, they've moved on to different positions. And my first thought was like, oh, well, they're the head of this part department or this company, and now they're the one controlling the budget. That'll be a natural opportunity for me. I haven't gotten as many of those where I've really gotten a lot more traction are the people that I was actually training year after year who've moved on to different companies and started tapping people on the shoulder and saying, I know a guy that we got to bring in here for our sales meeting. And so that was that was really quite a surprise. And what I would tell people, never, ever underestimate who might be somebody that would help you in the future. You want to treat everybody kindly. You want to treat them with respect. You want to help them to the best of your ability, because that person who you might think is never going to be able to do anything for you might become your biggest advocate if what you've done genuinely helped them. Wow. Well said. And Brian, if someone wants to go deeper with anything that you shared today, uh, learn more, access any resources you have, or get in touch with you, where would the best place be to go? I would say two places. LinkedIn. I connect with everybody. If a listener to this podcast reaches out to me, but they don't put in something that like, hey, I heard you on David's podcast, expect that I will send a message back to ask, how did you find me? I like to understand where the traffic's coming from and why people are reaching out. So I will I will connect with them on LinkedIn. And then certainly my website, influencepeople.biz. If they go there, uh, they can see previews of the LinkedIn courses, videos, all the podcasts I've been on. I've been blogging for more than a decade, every single week for more than a decade. So there's just a ton of information out there that they would be able to learn more. That sounds great. Well, Brian, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo and talking about not only your expertise in influence, but also your own personal transition from employment to entrepreneurship, where you now apply the principles that you have been mastering for all these years. My guest today has been the Chief Influence Officer of Influence People, Brian Ahern. Brian, thank you again for joining us. It was my pleasure, David. Thank you for having me on. When you visit the Going Solo website at smashingtheplateau.com slash going solo, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today we learned how to influence people to help your success in your own business and much more. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, or if you know someone who would, please get in touch with me via our website at smashingtheplateau.com. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.